Yes, thank you so much. What a great young man you are. Just want to honor your pastors, Dave and Joe, for all that you've done, all that you are doing, and all that you're going to do for the kingdom of God. Let's honor your pastors. Put your hands together. You know, Zachariah said, uh, if uh, the shepherd leaves, the sheep will scatter. So we need our shepherds. And you've got Dave and Joe Shepherd. How good's that? Well, thank you so much for allowing me to come and uh, share with you. Um, you did say uh, we need to finish around three o'clock? Yeah. Yep. That was a joke. Don't leave. Um, happy Mother's Day. I've got the most beautiful uh, wife. Carol sat over in the corner there. And she loves this bit. Stand up, Kaz. <laughs> Say hello. So here we are on Sunday morning in church. What a good thing that is. And we come to church to worship God, to have connection with one another. But I believe the primary reason for coming to church, don't get mad with me, is so that your belief system will be affected. As I speak words, your eye and your ear gate will receive these words, and in that invisible part inside of humanity is a belief system. And words are spirit, that's why they're invisible. So as I speak these words, I want to affect your belief system, confirming things that you already know, and maybe some things that might bring an adjustment. Belief systems are incredibly powerful. We saw what happened in Sri Lanka recently. That was driven by a belief system. So it's really important for us as believers, as the church, to have established our beliefs. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So, can I tamper with your belief system? Nobody said yes. <laughs> hey, look, Jesus practiced it. He went from synagogue to synagogue, village to village, preaching and teaching, why? So that he could affect people's belief system. And so uh, he went on to say in Mark 9.23, if you can believe, all things are possible. So we want to protect our belief system, we want to develop our belief system, we want to believe all things can be possible. Amen? Amen. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about me, as uh, I've not got a huge amount of time. Two hours is not that long. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just kidding. Um, our history, our background is uh, we were sinners, and we were really good at it. We didn't need any discipleship. We just did sin, and we were really good. Um, we were alternative lifestylers. We lived in Tasmania for a number of years. <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> Tasmania's nice. Uh, we lived in a tent and we built a mud brick house. And in those days, I used to have long flowing hair. 
I'd just like to dwell on that a little bit. <laughs> and then I became a pastor and it all went. No, no, pastoring's good. Um, but I got converted. I was in the middle of the, pa- of the paddock and uh, my brother, who I hadn't seen for three years, had got converted and he told me about Jesus and uh, uh, Most of the stuff went flying over my head, but I saw in him something had happened, and he had credibility. And so I said a prayer. I said, Lord, if you're real, come into my life, and nothing happened. But about two weeks later, I was stood in the middle of a paddock, and the Spirit of God came upon me, and the reality of God was more than anything else I could see in the natural world. And that was some... 30-odd years ago now. Gosh, time moves. And here I am in front of you good people speaking about Jesus still. That is a miracle. That's the power of conversion. And so uh, I got converted. I left my mud brick house and uh, came to Adelaide, was in the Salvation Army for 12 years And uh, then I joined uh, the ACC, also known as the AOG. Is that all right to mention the AOG here? (laughs) I go to a lot of churches. You know, in the last three years, with compassion, I've visited 150 churches. That's a lot of church. But I love the church. You are the hope for the community. No church, no hope. You are the hope. Look at the person next to you and say, you are the hope. Okay, okay. Just said, you are the hope. Not to have a conversation. Gosh. Um, And then uh, we pioneered Rise Church. That was uh, some 23 years ago. And uh, we started off with two of us in a front room of a house. Then we doubled, our wives joined us. And then our kids' ministry exploded because my brother had five kids and we had three. Eight kids. Yeah. And I'm pleased to say it's still going today. How good's that? We set off in a front shop front and uh, rented that, and now they've got a facility that's probably worth four or five million dollars. That's the goodness of God. Not the value, but the reality of the facility. Your facility's coming. I'm going to say that again over this side. Your facility's coming. Okay, can you do better? Your facility's coming. And uh, so um, three years ago, I was repositioned. That means I was kicked out. No. (laughs) What happens in life is seasons come and seasons go. And uh, a new season came. And uh, I was asked to uh, apply for this position I'm in now. And uh, I checked out Compassion. I've been sponsoring kids for 20-odd years. And I did that because it's a good thing to do. And uh, I was really pleased to go into the uh, workings of compassion to find out that they are so kingdom-minded, it's just so wonderful. 
And I know that there's many people here that sponsor Compassion Kids. And on behalf of the children, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You make a massive difference. Um, can I have a slide up? God's heart. God's heart is for the poor. Uh, I just want to briefly speak about compassion. Um, God's heart's for the poor. Next slide, please. In Leviticus 19, I know Leviticus is one of your favorite books, um, but God speaks to Israel, and he said, when you reap the land, don't reap all of it, but make sure you leave a corner, and that corner is for the poor. And you might be familiar with the book of Ruth. When Ruth and Naomi went back to Bethlehem as widows, Ruth was sent into Boaz's field to glean. That means to pick grain. She went to the corner that was left. And you might notice the blue square in the corner there. On all compassions, collateral is a blue square. And what that represents is that corner of the harvest for the poor. In fact, uh, Ruth gleaned so well that she ended up marrying Boaz. That's what you call good gleaning. So if you're single and you're looking for a man, start to glean. Um, let me just say this about poverty. Poverty is evil. It's wrong because what it does, poverty sends a message to children that says you are of no value, you're worthless, you don't have a purpose, and you're going to die soon. I know that the Word of God says something very different to that. God's heart is for the poor. Next slide, please. God's heart's for children. We know in Matthew 19 that Jesus, when the disciples were shooing away the children, Jesus said, no, let them come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We, we must understand that the culture of the day was children should be seen and not heard at a very high level. And if they were poor, they were seen as virtually worthless. So Jesus was being revolutionary to those disciples in saying, let the children come to me, the kingdom belongs to them. And so God's heart is for the poor, God's heart is for children. And finally, God's heart is for the foreigner. Again, back to Leviticus 19, 34. God speaks to Israel and says, when you have strangers or foreigners in your midst, engage with them, embrace them, love them. And Israel says, well, why should we do that? And God says, because at one time you too were foreigners. You know, I sound like a foreigner, don't I? Who said yes? Well, I can tell you I'm an Aussie. And you know how I know that? I was brought out as a 10-pound pom by my parents. Is there any 10-pound poms here? Don't be shy. Oh, we got a few. I could sense the quality. Um, but listen, I knew I was converted about 20 years ago. The English cricket team came out. And I wanted the Aussies to smash them. <laughs> Much to the disgust of my father. 
So God's heart is for the poor, for children and the foreigner. And I just want to um, encourage you, um, be involved with the poor. I'm not talking about your tithes and offerings, that's for the house. But I'm talking about that corner of your paddock, of your harvest field for the poor. Compassion's distinctives. That's the next slide. Beautiful. He's doing a great job. Um, We've got three C's, and this is going to lead me into talking about the church. We are Christ-centered. Look, I thank God for all the agencies that are working with children in poverty. At the present time, there are 385 million children, so the United Nations tell us, that are living in abject poverty. 385 million. And that's not acceptable to God, and it shouldn't be acceptable to the church. God's heart is for the poor. We're Christ-centered. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe it's the power of God to salvation. And so we make it very clear in the 25 countries that we work in that the children will have Christian education. We're child-focused. We believe that if you can change the life of a child, you can influence a family, a community, and in fact change a nation. We've got two children who are now adults in Parliament, one in Haiti and one in Uganda, from poverty to Parliament. How good's that? And finally, we're church-based. We only work through the local church. We don't advertise on TV to connect with people, although if secular people want to sponsor a child, we're more than happy. But we connect with local churches, and in the countries we work with, over 7,000 churches we work with, we work with the local church. We resource the local church, we empower the local church, to do the work of the ministry. And last year, last financial year, 137,290 children gave their lives to Christ. Now that's not evangelistic, because every number represents a child. So I'm just thrilled to be part of an organization that works through the church that feeds the kids, clothes the kids. The program's all done through the church. Um, Health and dental checks, vocational training, because we are not Centrelink. We want to break the cycle of poverty in Jesus' name. So that's the advert for compassion. I have three helpers. Please stand, you helpers. Gary and Sarah and Carol. We've got some children with us, and uh, we don't want to cross the line with Baptist World Aid. We just love the Baptists. In fact, compassion was started by a Baptist. Come on, you're into everything. It's great. But I've got Roseanne Fernande there from the Philippines, 14 years old, and um, she lives in poverty and she needs help. So if you can, uh, if you want to have a conversation or find out more about some of the children, please see one of us after the meeting. We would be thrilled to talk to you. The church, sword and spears, come on. 
God's plan is the church. The community needs the church. God's vehicle is the church. I would have done it differently. But I'm not God. Thankfully for you lot, I can tell you. But God has got a plan and he uses human beings and he brings us all together like this so that we would be the church. And people say to me, what does God want me to do? Does he want me to teach? Does he want me to sing? Does he want me to be in hospitality? Does he want me to serve? Yes, all those things are wonderful, but what God wants the church to do is to grow up. God's heart is for the church to get ready for when Christ returns because in Ephesians it tells us that Jesus is coming back for a mature church. So we've got some growing up to do. But that's all good because we've been given the word. And I say to people, don't panic about what's happening in the world today. I mean, the world has changed since I was a boy, massively. But don't panic. I've read the back of the book. I know who wins. <laughs> it turns out all right. Gets a bit messy, but it turns out all right. Now, a scripture, Matthew 16. This is the first time that the church is mentioned, and I'm sure it's a familiar scripture to all of you. And um, Jesus is asking, who do men say that I am? And uh, the disciples say, oh, some say you're one of the prophets. Ones that some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And uh, Peter pipes up as he would do and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's where Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And upon this rock, not the rock of Peter, but the rock of his revelation, I shall build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. The message I want to bring to you this morning for the church, because there are so many aspects to the church, you could talk about it literally for hours, but I believe part of the journey of the growing up and developing as a church, because seriously, you are so important to your community. Your community needs to hear the voice of Hills Baptist. They need you. They don't know they need you, but they need you. But the journey for all of us is to discover our identity. This is a revelation, not just of church, but of identity. That's why Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood have not revealed it to you, but my Father in heaven and upon this rock, the rock of revelation of identity. I heard you teaching on Logos and, Re and Rema. Very good. But it's understanding that identity. Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi and he said the gates of hell. Actually, the gates of hell is a place there. And next to it, it's a big deep cavern. I've been there. I went to Israel once. Fabulous. Who's been to Israel? Come on, you've got some Israelites here. God's not finished with Israel. There's still a work to be done. Amen. Um, 
God's really interested in his people knowing who they are. Over two and a half thousand times in the scriptures, God speaks about begatting, son of, daughter of. So it's, he even opens up the New Testament with a genealogy. So it seems to me that on God's heart is really an important part of understanding our identity. In Luke 4, 3 and 4, Jesus in his first confrontation with the devil, and the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, who's the devil challenging? What's the devil challenging? He's challenging Jesus and he's challenging his identity. And Jesus replied and quoted Deuteronomy 8.3, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm not going to perform for you to prove who I am, but the word of God reveals my identity. You see, Jesus himself, when he was born a baby, had to go on the journey of discovery of who he was. Come on, church. By the age of 12, every Hebrew boy of that day had to memorize the Torah, the first five books. Memorize. I have trouble with my kids' names. (laughs) And in memorizing that, Jesus himself saw his own identity. That's why after his confrontation with the devil, he went back to Nazareth and he declared from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor and went on and on and finished and closed the book and he said, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they got really miffed with him and wanted to throw him off the mountain and the reason being is because he was declaring his identity You see, he emptied himself of his divine privileges. Philippians 2 is called the kenosis. He emptied himself. It became like us. He was fully God, but he became fully man. And he went on that journey of discovery of who he was. We too in the church, you are somebody. We are all God's little snowflakes. There's not another one like you. Do not try and be somebody else. Be who God's called you to be. And in the same way, don't try and make somebody else like you because we can only cope with one of you. (laughs) Two's too many, just one. So if Jesus had to go on the journey we too have got to go on the journey of discovery of your gifting, who you are, what you're called to, and the scriptures are very clear. That's why we need to... Listen, I know you would hear this all the time from this pulpit, and it's a good thing to hear. I encourage you, read the word, listen to the word, watch the word if you're not a good reader. This is, this is a mirror to who I am, as well as who God is. The word is the sword, and it's the revealer. 
Now I want to bring three points and then I'll finish because that's what pastors do. We bring three points. <laughs> Listen, we in the church have got to know who we are because the world out there are looking for who they are. There's three big questions in life. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Evolution says, who are you? You're an accident. Why am I here? No reason. And where am I going? Nowhere. <laughs> now, if you believe in evolution, I'm not, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I just believe that God is the creative genius behind creation. And what God says is you're valuable. You have a purpose here on the planet and you're going to go somewhere afterwards. Three points, really quick. You did say 12. Just kidding. This is the first one. You belong. This is a message to the church first. You belong. Why do you belong? Because you were created in the image of God. God is spirit. You are spirit. John 4, when Jesus was at the uh, well, the woman from Samaria said, oh, should we worship God here at Mount Gennesaret or should we go to Mount Moriah in Jerusalem? And Jesus said, neither. God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in truth and in Spirit and truth. Got them the wrong way around. Spirit and truth. You belong to God. You are valuable. And our message to the world is that they belong to God too. They might not believe, but you might be visiting today and on a journey of discovery. I want you to know more than anything, I'm not looking at your behavior. God's not looking at your behavior. He wants you to know that you belong. You belong to God. You are valuable to God. You have a purpose in God. Just as a side note, as a call of the church, when I got saved... It was, everything was believe, 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 believe. And don't misunderstand me, I'm not against believing. I want to affect your belief system. But the fish have changed. The world view of the fish that we're trying to catch in South Australia, in Australia, in the Western world has changed. The fish have changed. And the message that they want to hear is not just... Come to Jesus and your life will change because they retort and say, well, my life will change if I get on MasterChef. Jamie Oliver can change my life. We have a message that says you are valuable. You belong. You have a purpose. I'm not there to wag the finger at people's behavior that... We're not called to judge. That's not our business. Judgment day is coming 
and it's a capital D of the day of the Lord. When Jesus returns and he's going to bring the judgment. When he returns, we're all going to get a new hairdo. It's just going to go boing. So in my identity, I know that I belong. I really want to encourage you. You belong. The second point is that you and I are broken. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am a broken man, but by the grace of God... I belong to him. Come on, what a deal. He gets me and I get him. (laughs) Some people say, oh, I live by the Ten Commandments. Well, I wish you well, I don't. See, the Ten Commandments, they were given to reveal sin. They weren't given for us to live by them. They were there to reveal sin. Some people say, I'm not sure about that. In fact, I reckon he could have just done one commandment. He could have said, you shall not bear false witness. If you've ever told a lie, lift your hand. If you didn't raise your hand, you're a liar. (laughs) We've got to acknowledge our brokenness and, and not looking down on people in our community. You want a sword and a spear, the love of God is that spear that will pierce the heart of people when we are embracing of them and not judging people's behavior. The journey is that they connect and belong. It's God's business to change the behavior. Amen? So... That's not an excuse being broken, but I I do understand my brokenness. It's part of my identity. I don't live in it and I, I don't use it as an excuse, but it brings humility that I understand humanity and it's only by the grace of God go I. And finally, everybody say finally. There's no need to shout. We're here to become. First Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be blameless, preserved blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Part of our weaponry is understanding who we are. As it is in the scripture there, we're a trichotomy like God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're spirit, soul, and body. I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. You can see this magnificent specimen before you. That wasn't meant to be funny. But I live inside of this. This is mortal. It's wearing out. You look at this body and you think, my goodness, that's not wearing out. It's losing a few things and things start to drop a little bit as you get older. You're all so young in here. Is there any baby boomers? Let me see those hands, yes. 
Things change, don't they, baby boomers? It's understanding that we're spirit. You see, when, when I took a step of faith, the Holy Spirit connected with my spirit and reconnected me back to God. All humanity is spirit, soul, and body. Um, uh, what, what I have inside of me, listen to this, look at me, look at me. <laughs> I have inside of me faith, hope, and love. It's in that invisible realm. You see, we're in the business of the invisible. God's invisible. The things we talk about are, are invisible. And God connected in my life as he did in most of your lives here, connected with you and reconnected your spirit back to God. Spirit to spirit. And now my spirit is self-giving. To walk in the spirit is very simple. People get all spiritual and a bit silly about it sometimes. But if you want to walk in the spirit... Be a self-giver. It's self-giving. My soul is different to my spirit. In Hebrews 4.12 it says, The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the joints and the marrow which are close, the soul and the spirit. Your, your spirit is self-giving. Your soul is self-expression. You... you experience my soul as I've been expressing myself before you. And my body is self-serving. Bodies are good, but, and you need one. Even Jesus had to get one. But it's self-serving. To walk in the Spirit is to walk self-giving. And I have inside of me faith, hope, and love, and every human being has inside of them faith, hope, and love. The difference is that when the Spirit came upon me, my faith became the God kind of faith. My hope became the God kind of hope. And the love became the agape. So don't ask God for more faith. You've got all you're going to get. Romans 12.3, to every person has been given the measure of faith. Don't ask for more love. Romans 5.5, 5, for the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And hope, Colossians 1.23, Christ in me, the hope of glory. The God kind of faith, hope and love. And you see, faith, hope and love are eternal. 1 Corinthians 13.13, 13. now these three things are eternal. These three things remain, faith, hope and love. The journey for us to get our weapons out so it can be released into the atmosphere is to learn how to get faith, hope and love out. That's the weapons of the church is for us to love people. We can bind things and speak to angels, demons. That's part of the deal. But the important part for all of us, as Jesus said, is to love God and love one another. Now, if it had stopped at loving God, that had been fine. Because loving God's easy. God's wonderful. 
The trouble I have is with you lot. So I have to get the agape, the love of God out to love. And the way faith comes, comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why this is so important to feed ourselves on it so that you can release the love, you can release the hope. Hope often comes first. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I might not have the faith ready to be released, but I'm going to start hoping for you. And then from the hope develops faith, and then faith's released. And don't get so intense about it, it's all right. God's one. It's relax, be who you are, love people, call on God for everything. Trust in the Lord and rest in the power of His might. I'm going to come down to you. People at the back, I still am standing up. (laughs) I want to encourage this church because you are a significant church. Prophesy over you. I go to a lot of churches and they're good people, but you know there's a lot of churches that have got a five-year time on them and then they're going to disappear because the congregations are older. There's no children, no youth. Thank God for the voices of children. Come on. That usually means I've got to finish. (laughs) You know, um, I'm just about done now, Dave. Um, Look, in the prayer meeting this morning, there was a mention, we were praying for different people's situations and circumstances, and there was a mention of people wanting to get pregnant. And no names or anything like that was said, but uh, I can relate to that because when we first got saved, Carol got pregnant, and she miscarried. And she got pregnant again. And she miscarried. And in fact, we got some visits from some Christian people who said, what sin do you think you committed? And I thought to myself, I'm going to confess everything. Because I didn't know anything. So I confessed sins I didn't even do. (laughs) Just to be on the safe side. (laughs) But it it was a painful time. But, you know, I just feel, if it's okay with you, Dave, to pray for those loved ones that are wanting to get pregnant. Now, there's a part that the human race have got to play. But God in heaven, as he saw Hannah, as we heard this morning, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I can think or even imagine. Don't give up hope. Keep that hope there because hope turns to faith. Let's just bow our heads for a second. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if that's you, there might be one, there might be two, there might be ten. I I want to pray for you. Is that all right? So just lift your hand where you sat and then I'll pray. God bless you. Anybody else? 
I don't want Carol to put her hand up. She said it'll be a miracle. I'm going to pray for these loved ones. Let's pray together. Come on. Father, we just look to you. And as I declared in your word, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can think or even imagine. We just pray for this couple and we say, God, we ask of you in the name of Jesus, that name that is above every name, let there be a celebration, a celebration as conception takes place. So Lord, we bless this couple. We say, God, we ask, please do what only you can do. In the wonderful name of Jesus, and if you agree, say amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you so much for having us. I'll take all my goods and chattels. Sorry about that. I write so big because I can't see. God bless you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dave. God bless you. Oh, I forgot. I was going to show you a three-minute video. Is that all right? It's only three minutes, but it's just the church at work in Uganda. And please come and see us. We're going to be over in that corner with near the children. Not too close, but near the children. God bless. Thanks. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.